Hey everyone, this is me, Alex, with episode number three of Sugidama Podcast, the podcast about Japanese sakia. The drink, which looks like spirit, has ABV of wine and is made more like beer, but still is so unique that I can't stop talking about it. Last time we talked about the sakia classification, about grades or styles. Now it's time for sakia types. From the previous episode, you know that grades or styles of sakia are defined by two main criteria, whether alcohol was added into sakia at the end of the brewing process and the extent of the rice was polished, called a rice polishing ratio. The types of sakia, on the other hand, depend on various brewing techniques. Sakia types could be of any style or grade and vice versa. For example, Nigori could be Honjozo, Junmai or Junmai Daiginjo. So it's the second dimension of the sake universe. And we will start with Nigori, which I mentioned in the first episode and which is apparently a drink of choice in many sushi bars in the United States. I think Nigori is the best known sake type outside Japan for two reasons. A catchy name, easy to remember for many non-Japanese drinkers, and a very recognizable look. Nigori, or Nigorizake, means cloudy sake, where some unfermented rice solids were left in the drink. So it looks milky. Wait a minute, some of you might say, does it mean unrefined sake? And you mentioned unrefined sake called Doboroko two episodes back, and said that to call a drink Nihonshu, it should be refined. Well, it's true, and Nigori has definitely come from Doboroku. But it's not all simple. Doboroku was brewed in Japan for centuries by farmers and their families. However, it was banned in the major period in the second half of the 19th century. Why? My guess that the government couldn't tax it. But the tradition has never died. Nowadays, Doboroku is brewed in small quantities under special licenses in little villages in Japan. Nigori, however, is different. For centuries, since the modern sake was created, and I would call modern the sake made with help of koji, all sake were Nigori. There are a few interesting stories about how clear sake was invented. One story takes place in the 17th century Itami, a sake capital of Hyoga Prefecture, the city which calls itself a birthplace of modern sake. An employee of one of the breweries got fired. It happens. I don't know why in this case, but the guy was pretty crossed with the brewery owner or the master brewer. So he sneaked to the brewery and dropped a load of powdered coal or ashes into a tank of freshly made white sake. The brewery workers saw it on the next morning and were devastated. The product of their hard labor looked like being completely destroyed. In a desperate attempt to salvage at least something, they decided to filter the sake. And behold, the carbon dragged down the rice particles 
And when the brewers pressed the mixture through a mesh, they got beautiful, clear sake. Nobody knows if the story is true, but it, it might have happened. However, there are much earlier records of a monk in Nara prefecture who was responsible for brewing sake at his monastery and who was selling rice leaves, the byproduct of sake pressing. We will talk about it in a minute meaning that he was already pressing the sake then. In any case, clear sake became a norm probably around 1600s. But the story of modern Nigori began in the 1960s at one of the oldest sake breweries in Kyoto, Masuda Tokubeshoten, established in 1675 by the Masuda family and the maker of a famous Tsukinokatsura brand of sake. The owner that time, whose name was also Masuda Tokube, the 13th generation scion of the Masuda family, after reading through a collection of 100-year-old books found at the brewery, decided to bring back cloudy sake, which was common for centuries in Japan. He successfully lobbied the government to allow some leeways in the rules of filtering sake and produced the first nigori, called Tsukinokatsura Daigoku-jo Nakagumi Nigori-zaki. So how is Nigori sake made? Remember, we were talking about sake brewing process. The fermenting sake mash, called maromi, is left for a few weeks to let koji and yeast to produce alcohol. When the fermentation process is over, maromi is pressed. So what is pressing? It actually looks more like filtering, when the mesh is pressed through a net to get rid of the rice particles, which didn't dissolve during the fermentation. There are several methods to do it. The oldest way is to put the maromi into cotton bags and load the bags into a big box, called fune, a boat in Japanese. First, the sake will run on itself from the bags squeezed under their own weight, then a lid is put on top, and it squeezes the sake further out of the bags. Another traditional method is to suspend the cotton bags with maromi in the air, so sake will drip without any pressure, just by gravity, to a special 18-liter bottle. It's called fukurotsuri, translated simply as hanging cotton bags. And only a small amount of sake is pressed this way, so it's rare and expensive. But nowadays, most of the sake is pressed with special machines. They look like accordion, a musical instrument, but much bigger. The leftover of pressing, called sake kas or sake lees, is wildly used in food and cosmetic industries. This is what the Nara monk was selling. So it took the Masuda Tokube brewery several months of working closely with the Minister of Taxation, which oversees alcohol production in Japan, to create Nigori, which met the legal requirements of Nihonshu. According to John Gortner's excellent book, Sake Confidential, Nigori was originally made with a cage-like device with two millimeters holes in its walls, which was inserted into the tank with freshly brewed sake. The sake leaked through the holes into the center of the device, was drawn and bottled. Other breweries came up with their own methods of making nigori. However, now nigori is usually made using a much simpler way. The sake is pressed, as usual, and then 
some of sake castle is added back to the press sake and voila you've got your nigori apparently the definition of sake has changed a bit and now permits to add not only water but sake castle as well it makes sense as it is still part of the original maromi Nigori sake ranges from thin, slightly milky sake to very thick, more like liqueur texture sake. I have once tried Nigori sake so thick that it looked like porridge and asked the president of the brewery how people drink it. He recommended to use it as a topping for ice cream or other desserts or as a sauce with foie gras, believe it or not. Normally, Nigori is creamy and sweeter than regular sake. It's got very prominent viscous texture, very mouthful. But you can find dry nigori or very fine cold usu nigori as well. Usually nigori isn't made from highly polished rice because it can't be as refined as regular sake. So what's the point? But I think that I see more and more junmai ginju and junmai daiginju nigori like dasai or keigetsu I was talking about in the first episode. Light and more refined nigori is great with sushi, as the sweetness of nigori pleasantly contrasts with saltiness or fish, while more robust and thicker will be great with spicy sweeter food like curry, teriyaki or barbecue. After sake is pressed, is usually filtered, unless it's nigori. There is a bit of confusion between pressing and filtering, as technically both processes are called filtering in English, but have completely different names in Japanese. That's why the initial process is usually called pressing, as in winemaking. So activated carbon is added to the clear sake, and then the mixture is run through a filter. Filtering removes natural yellowish color of the sake, as well as some unwanted flavors. Breweries started using activated carbon to filter sake around after the war. However, filtering especially if it's aggressive strips sake of some of its character. It's really a balancing act. If you filter too much, sake will become a bit blunt. If too little, it might have some flavors that the brewer doesn't want. The filtering is called rocker. But some breweries don't filter all of its sake. They leave a bit of sake unfiltered to produce a more rustic taste. This sake is called muroka, where mu means not, meaning not filtered or unfiltered. Muroka is usually a bit rougher than regular sake, but have a deeper taste and quite a complex character. It's not very common. I have come across very few muroka in the UK, but I guess they are not very widespread in Japan either. Usually, muroka is an additional technique used to make sake taste deeper and more complex. So you will see something like muroka nama or muroka genshu, or part of even longer sake description. Talking about muroka nama, let's talk about nama, unpasteurized sake. After sake is filtered, it's usually pasteurized by heating it up to 65 degrees for 30 minutes, and left in the tank afterwards for some time. It could be weeks, months, or even years. It's usually pasteurized the second time after bottling. Sake is pasteurized because its relatively low alcohol content makes the drink vulnerable to unwanted microorganisms, which can spoil the sake. 
Japanese brewers learned to heat up sake to deactivate enzymes and kill these pesky bacteria in the 17th century, way before Louis Pasteur invented pasteurization. Pretty cool, isn't it? The unpasteurized sake is called nama or namazake, which means raw or fresh sake. Before the invention of refrigerated trucks, breweries could sell nama sake only from their premises, straight after the sake brewing season was over. Because namazake is very unstable sake, you just couldn't guarantee the quality after it was transported. But with emergence of commercial refrigerators, it became more common. The first commercial nama, as I was told, was Funaguchi Kikesui Ichiban Shibori, sold in sealed aluminum cans, which protect it from sunlight and the air. I like this sake, it's delicate but still funky. But most namazaki are traditionally bottled sake, which is usually sold at the end of the sake brewing season in April-May, because even in a fridge, namazaki can't survive for long without changing its taste. However, there are namazaki, like for example Tamagawa by Philip Harper, which could be kept at room temperature without any problem. But Philip Harper is a unique brewer, so it's quite unusual. Namasake is very different from regular sake. It's wild and youthful, zappy and fresh. It's got a lot of untamed notes and aromas. It's fun to drink, but you have to be careful, as it can get spoiled easily. Another cool thing about Nama is that because there are two pasteurization, it creates three combinations. The first is just Nama or Namasake we've just talked about. The second is a sake pasteurized only once after brewing, not after bottling. It's called namachozo, and it's close to namazaki, but a bit less wild. Still, you have to keep it in the fridge. The third variation, namazume, the sake pasteurized only once after bottling, but not after brewing. Because it kept in a tank unpasteurized for a few months, it develops more complex taste and aroma. This type of sake is also called Hiya Oroshi. It's a seasonal sake released by breweries in autumn as a first sake of the season. I have mentioned it a couple of times in my blog. This seasonal sake, also called Akiagari, is more of a marketing tool though, as these names are not regulated. The sake might be unpasteurized at all, and these terms nowadays refer mostly to the time of the release rather than the brewing techniques used. Still, as I understand, most of them are namazumi. I have mentioned Morocco Genshu before, so let's talk quickly about Genshu. Genshu is easy and means undiluted sake. It usually has a slightly higher ABV, between 18 and 20%, but, and is always but in sake, it might be lower. The lower ABV could be achieved through various brewing techniques, like fermenting at a lower temperature, using a special yeast, or simply aborting the fermentation process when the desired ABV is reached. Why is sake diluted in the first place? In Japan in general, people prefer mild things. Normally, Japanese don't like extremes. Also, as sake is usually drunk with food, the high alcohol content will overshadow the taste of the meal, which is supposed to shine. I personally never noticed any considerable difference between Genshu and regular sake. 
I guess brewers just want to create a certain taste profile and use this technique to achieve a punchier, slightly rougher taste. Kensho is great with hearty food. Now, let's talk about other types of sake. Sometimes you might see a word taruzaki in the name of sake. It means that the sake was stored or aged for a quick period of time in a cedar barrel. Taru means barrel or cask. A bit of history here. In old times, all sake was stored in wooden barrels. However, now sake is kept in steel tanks to avoid any foreign aromas. Taruzaki usually smells a bit of wood. Sometimes it's nice, but sometimes it's a bit too much. Actually, you can make taruzaki from any regular sake yourself. Just put it in a wooden vessels, preferably made of Japanese cedar, and keep there for a few days. It will absorb the aroma. Even drinking from sake cups made of cedar adds a bit of wooden smell to sake. Another interesting type of sake is koshu, aged sake. I haven't mentioned yet, but the general advice is to drink sake within one year of its production. After two, three years, sake usually starts changing its taste. It's not a bad thing, but just it becomes something that the brewer didn't intend to create. Historically, sake wasn't aged. One of the key reasons was economical. Originally, for many centuries, sake was often aged. However, in the 19th century, Japan changed the way it was taxing sake production, collecting the due taxes after sake was pressed, not sold. So, for a brewery, it was very important to sell sake as soon as possible. The law was changed back after the war, but it took some time for breweries to start aging their sake. Aged sake still takes a very small share of the market. There are a few reasons for that, but we will talk about them in a future episode. Koshu usually has a darker amber color and very different taste compared to regular sake. It's got honey, dried fruit, sherry, and wood in taste and aroma. Some people love it, some hate it. Still, it depends on the sake. I tried a fair share of koshu, and I loved some of them, but wasn't too keen on others. So it's up to personal preferences. Another thing about koshu. Generally, the name refers to a sake aged for any reasons, not necessarily deliberately. So, in Japanese, it could mean a good or bad thing. Like a sake left in the cupboard and past its due date. There is a special name for the sake aged on purpose, but I wouldn't bother you with it for now. In English, koshu is usually refers to a properly aged sake. As I have mentioned before, sparkling sake is a new thing for Japan. Many sake drinkers still consider it as a gimmick, not a proper sake. I disagree. Sparkling sake is a great drink. It usually has a lower ABV, closer to champagne or other fizzy wines, and is very pleasant on a hot day or as a aperitive at a party. There are two ways of making sparkling sake. Easy and cheaper method is to infuse sake with carbon dioxide to make it sparkling. The other method is called a second fermentation in the bottle, or so-called champagne method, when active yeast is added after bottling. 
So here you are, most of psychotypes explained. Just a quick rundown of the episode. Psychotypes are related to brewing techniques, usually altering or omission of certain steps in brewing regular sake. By brewing stage you have nigori, pressing is only partially done, so it's cloudy, sweeter and creamier, morocco, no filtering, natural yellowish color and deeper taste, nama or namazaki, unpasteurized or pasteurized only once sake, wilder and funkier taste or flavor, gensho, undiluted sake, pancha taste, taruzake, aged a bit in cedar barrel, nice woody smell, koshu, aged sake, completely different taste profile, closer to sherry, sparkling sake, well, fizzy sake. All the types can be combined with each other and can be of any grade or style of sake. Oh, I'll give you one example of sake with very long name. Tamagawa Yamahai Junmai Moroka Nama Genshu Red Label. An excellent sake by the first non-Japanese sake master brewer, Philip Harper. So, Tamagawa is the name of the brewery and Red Label is the name of the sake. But the bit between is the description of the sake and brewing techniques. Basically, translating it into a more comprehensible language, it's unfiltered, undiluted, and unpasteurized sake made from only rice, water, and fermenting cultures using an old brewing method, Yamahai. Pretty cool, isn't it? And we'll talk about brewing methods next time. And now, it's time for the sake of the episode. And I would like to tell you about Arabashiri First Run Nama Ginjo Sake from famous Masumi Brewery. Actually, the brewery is called Miyasaka, and it was founded in 1662 in the town of Suwa in Nagano Prefecture. The story of the founding of the brewery is very captivating. It starts in the 16th century, at the end of the Sengoku Jidai, or Warring States period in Japan. During that time, a powerful and ruthless warlord and a clan leader, Oda Nobunaga, was fighting for dominance in Japan. One of his famous rivals was Takeda Shingen. Their rivalry was a basis of the amazing Akira Kurosawa's movie, Kagemusha. The masters of the Miyazaki family, the founding family of the Miyazaki brewery, were a Suwa clan, who clashed with Takeda Shingen and Oda Nobunaga. I guess the family didn't have much taste for violence, so they gave up their swords and switched to sake making. Yay! So good for us, because Masumi sake is terrific. Some historical figures, like Matsudaira Todatero, sixth son of the first Tokugawa shogun, or Otaka Gengo, one of the Japan's famous 47 Ronin warriors were both fans of the sake from Miyasaka Brewery. The brewery started using the name Masumi probably in the 19th century. Masumi, which means transparency or truth, is the name of a 8th century bronze mirror kept at the Suwataisha Shinto shrine. So a lot of history here. The brewery went into decline in the mid-19th century, it was so bad that family members had to take side jobs, such as selling tea to make ends meet. Miyasaka Brewery's turnaround story itself 
spares a full episode. So we'll leave it here, just to mention that now Masumi is one of the most famous brands of sake and definitely one of my favorites. The brewery is also known for Keith Norum, who I guess is a head of international marketing there and who is a great person, eloquent, knowledgeable, gentle, a really amazing man, very well known and respected in the world of sake. I met him last year here in London when he was presenting delicious Masumi sake. Well, after this lengthy introduction, let's talk about Arabashiri first run Junmai Ginjun Nama. You can test what you have learned from the previous 25 minutes of the episode here. Arabashiri is a seasonal sake. It appears in spring, when the brewing season is finished. The reason why it's seasonal is that it's a nama sake, or namazake, as you can see it from the name. Namazake is unpasteurized sake, so it has a relatively short shelf life, a few months maximum. The beauty of namazake is its freshness and wildness. It hasn't settled. It's young and adventurous. It's still alive. So you can taste and feel all that in Masumi Arabashiri. Now, this Arabashiri part, it's not a name. It's, again, a certain type of sake. Earlier in the episode, I have mentioned a traditional pressing method, when maromi is loaded into cotton bags and put into a big box called fune. First, the sake will run on itself from the bags, squeezed under its own weight. This is called a first run, or rough run, or arabashiri in Japanese. Arabashiri sake is slightly rough, but it, in a good way. So the combination of arabashiri and nama gives you a very lively and energetic sake with a lot of interesting aromas. As the sake is rough and a bit wild, the same sake could have slightly different flavor profile year on year, which is usually not the case with normal sake, where consistency is prized and valued. The last bit of the name, ginger, you can now decipher yourself, premium sake with a bit of distilled alcohol added before pressing. So that's it for today. I'll be back with more episodes. In the meantime, if you never tried sake, buy it and try. If you can't find Arabashiri because it's seasonal, try different Masumi sake. They all are terrific. Or any combination of a style and type to test yourself. Go to Sugidama blog, which is surprise surprise on sugidama.co.uk and explore the tasting notes section. You can always find there a nice sake to try. Please send me email or leave a comment about your experience. If you like the episode and want more, hit the subscribe button. Please, please leave a review and share this podcast with your friends. Reviews and sharing is very important to get the podcast out to the bigger audience. Thanks a lot for listening. Kampai. Sugi, 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 sugi